So imagine a group of guys who met in their college years. They get together annually for a guys weekend. What do you think that looks like? And what does it look like over a span of decades? And how, in the midst of grilling ribs, watching the NBA finals, and riding jet skis, did storytelling become an important, if not the most important part of this annual gathering? This is a story of monstrosity, and it's one that I've had a front row seat for. I'm Rob Webster, and for Custer Road United Methodist Church, this is episode 19 of The Story That Writes Us. I've been very fortunate over the years to be a part of an annual gathering of six friends. The five other men met when they were in college at the University of North Carolina. I was just a couple years out of college working with a campus ministry there that today is called Crew. We all stayed in touch, and it was just a few years after they graduated that a weekend get-together was proposed. In the 20 gatherings since, a number of traditions have developed, along with inside jokes aplenty. Our location has moved around quite a bit over the years. That very first year, we were at Ashley's family farm in eastern North Carolina. One year, it kind of informally moved to Alabama for my wedding. We spent a few years at a house on the North Carolina coast, and recently Sam purchased a wonderful lake house just over the border in Virginia that's been our spot for the past couple of years. We all got together this past May, and at the tail end of our weekend, they all agreed to sit down around the kitchen table at Sam's lake house and talk about what this has become. Unique New York. <laughs> Unique New York. Ow, now brown cow. Ow, Every week I do that. <laughs> Never gets old. I have five dear friends with me, and uh, we have gotten together for, I believe this is our 20th occasion to get together, according to the Hall of Records, as we call it. Um, real quick, let's go around. Can you guys just introduce yourselves real quick? And even though you are more than your employment, say what you do for a living. We'll start on my left. My name is Sam Crutchfield. I'm a real estate developer from Raleigh, North Carolina. I am Vimal Patel. I'm in software sales in Apex, North Carolina. My name is Jeff Hardy. I'm a pastor of a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I am Walker Hicks, and I'm a high school teacher in Durham. My name is Ashley Wilkie. I am a detective with Raleigh Police Department in Raleigh, North Carolina. I want to point out there's another Ashley, Sam's wife, who plays a part in the monstrosity story. So don't get confused when her name pops up later. Separate Ashley. Jeff Hardy, how did this start? I think you were the one who initiated this. I I believe I was. I double-checked with some of the gentlemen here, and they agreed that I probably did start it. So I was moving overseas. And, uh, you know, at that point, I guess, seven years out of college. So I already had a sense that we were losing touch with people you don't want to lose touch with, and going overseas was going to amplify that. So I thought, hey, we should get together a group of people that I'd like to see more regularly and not lose touch with. So we were using email back then, probably. Uh, called, emailed, pigeon, sent some pigeons out, and uh, <laughs> people responded to the call. And uh, we met at Ashley's grandparents' estate in Newton Grove in eastern North Carolina for a weekend of uh, man, fun, manly activities. I don't know when we named it officially. I yeah, let's I- talk about that. We, because we do call it something. What do we call it? Manstrosity. Manstrosity. <laughs> I'll add some reverb to that when it airs. I well. believe there were two options, testosterama <laughs> and monstrosity were the two choices. Oh. Yeah, no, those were the two choices. <laughs> Glorious. And we wisely settled on monstrosity. Wisely. So we first met in Newton Grove. Uh, Ashley, can you describe Newton Grove for us? Uh, it's the farm where my mom grew up, and as Jeff said, in eastern North Carolina. 
but just kind of a small, humble homestead with some uh, barns around it and lots of fields and woods around it. How did we make use of that land and that space and those opportunities that first year? For the first year and many of the early years, we uh, we enjoyed shooting things. We had I had kind of set up a uh, had a real hobby of inanimate things. Yes, inanimate things. Right, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, where I worked, we a lot of people drank lots of soft drinks, so I just had a large trash bags of cans and other things, and so. We had some felled trees down in this firing range. So we just set up cans and different things. Um, uh, and yeah, that was a big part of the uh, of the early years. The array of different things we've ended up shooting yeah, over the years. Yeah, that's <laughs> because of all. It's definitely grown the number of things. Outmoded technology. Yeah. Yes. Early on, it was just, I think, cans and maybe we did bottles, I think, a few times until mm-hmm. we realized how big of a mess that was to clean mm. up in the, in the woods. The plexiglass award was a oh, winner. Oh, yes. We had some uh, watermelon. And the watermelon in the uh, broken monitor was a nice visual. Yes, that's true. We had a broken monitor and we put a watermelon in it and then blasted it. That was fun. We began using um, stuffed animals that our children had outgrown. So that was fun. Several attics were cleaned out and put to good use. Yeah, I actually went to a like thrift store once in preparation and <laughs> loaded you? up on a host of stuffed animals. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, Walker, actually, you're the keeper of the records. Tell us about the records. Can you do that? What's what's in the that I don't think we don't you have to get them out. Yeah, get them out. You got them on your phone, right? Everybody has them. It's a Google Doc. They go back to the first year, don't they? They're, they they were crude early on. Simple, rudimentary records. Two, 2003 just says Newton Grove. <laughs> By the end, there's a detailed paragraph. <laughs> it was transcribed from papyrus, <laughs> though. So. I mean, historians use this as a primary source to confirm mm-hmm. other historical truths in the last 20 years. So. It's valuable. It's a record of movies we've watched, food we've eaten. So any of that stuff you want to know, I can just go through the whole thing in great detail. <laughs> that sounds riveting. Yeah. It sounds, it's good radio. So it does reveal there's some tradition, certainly, of seeing a movie. Uh, usually, just to joke about something called Manstrosity, we try to see a movie that one might describe as a manly movie. And I soon remember the year Wonder Woman came out and was like the only thing in the theaters. It presented quite the conundrum, but we did go see Wonder Woman that year. But... Uh, over my objections. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> that was 2017, I'll say. That was 2017. Um, I might say she was probably manlier than yeah. most of the things that we do on menstruation. So it, it fit. It did fit. Well, one interesting dynamic has been in the early years, there was, first of all, we did not get into this thing. Let's share deeply about our lives. Right. We were just like, let's get together and eat ribs and watch things and shoot things. Right. Right. And and there were and the early efforts were very obligatory and very brief. Like a couple of minutes. Uh, you got some kids, right? Um, how old are they? Like sort of let, let's get through it and move on. I remember being in the kitchen in Newton Grove and Sam, you actually had a list. I think you had a written list of questions I, Ashley wanted you to I ask. Had homework from my wife who felt <laughs> Right. So it was very brief. She was upset when I would return from, you know, three or four days with you guys and have absolutely no personal details whatsoever, <laughs> but great stories about all of the bonding we did just sitting around eating and telling jokes and quoting movie lines and games. early, yes, early evidence of, of how our wives would better us over the years. <sighs> One of many ways. So, yes. so Sam, this came from your wife who was saying, I want to know what's going on in everyone else's lives. Pretty much. Thanks Ash yeah. for that and many other things. So an intentionality was added to the time together. Amidst riding jet skis and fishing and playing Call of Duty and cooking out, we also have a dedicated time of sharing about the past year of our lives. 
After a meal, while everyone is still around the table, one of us will take some time to summarize the past year of his life. And then following this, someone else will volunteer to lead us all in a time of prayer for this person. What I think, too, naturally, as, I mean, you know, more or less your early years of out of college, early job, getting married. I mean, a lot of that's just not that hard, typically. I mean, there we all, of course, everyone has different stories, but... To all you millennials out there, it feels really hard. Yeah, yeah sure. It can be hard. I'm not trying to uh, eliminate that reality. But I think probably as, you know, as life went on, right, and it gets more complex over time. Um, and as our relationships grew, we felt naturally the need to connect. And we did a lot of that organically early on. But then we'd have these moments where, well, I told actually this yesterday or I told Vimal this earlier today. And somehow it naturally morphed into, well, we should maybe over the meals, maybe we should talk more, hear from everybody and hear what's pros and cons, what's going on in their lives and pray for them. You know, we're all Christians. So we thought it would be good for us to pray for one another. Uh, that might be a reasonable thing to do. And somehow now it's, I mean, it's become, I would say the highlight of the weekend. I mean, it's all fun. It's all great. Um, but the opportunity to hear from each other or pray for each other definitely has become, I think for probably for all of us, the highlight of what we do. I mean, I think maybe backing into it was probably the best way to do it. There was it probably was, yeah. Sort of a grudging maturity <laughs> that began to evolve. Like, hmm, maybe we should care more about each other's lives and another round of Call of Duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Not right. to eliminate Call of Duty, but just change the ratio a smidge, perhaps. And I, and I would agree that it has certainly become a centerpiece. Not always uh, something longed for. I mean, I know for me personally, in some years, it's something that I almost dread in a way because it's been a really hard year. So I, I'm looking forward to sharing with dear friends what's been going on, but I know that it's going to be hard because it's, you know, you want to share your soul, but that's, that's hard sometimes when you know that there's, you know, some, some hard things that you, you know, you're going to be going to be sharing. So, um, so yeah, that has been, I would agree it's been a centerpiece, uh, sometimes a difficult centerpiece, but uh, a very, um, yeah, ultimately a very, very positive one. Well, that's true. There's, there's this pressure. I think that we all feel, um, even, even in our church communities to, you know, smile and act like everything is fine. And that scary world of vulnerabilities is, is hard to, even, even with the folks that you know, you're accepted by and loved by. Um, it's, yeah, it, it has been, um, it has definitely been a very slow organic process, I think, to get to the point where we could all say very true things to each other and know that those things are going to be held, not only held well, but prayed about and, and lifted up in a way that um, I think is, is the way that we were meant to, to care for each other and, and be friends in this crazy journey of life. And even that's evolved, you know, early on, as Jeff said, you know, where life isn't that complicated, but you know, you, some of us get married. Some of us don't. Some of us begin to have kids. Some of us take a long time to have kids. Some of our parents begin to age. Some of them pass quickly. Some of them pass over a long period of medical issues. And and that unearths things in us that is worth processing and learning about what God is teaching us and our dependence on Jesus. And um, and this, this time helps reflect, and that would just move along year to year, but the ha- opportunity to share helps you reflect and self-diagnose what what we need and our dependence on Jesus as well. So. Yeah, it's a fascinating rhythm because in some ways it's artificial, right? Like we don't have to put up with each other all the time. 
And uh, I think that's a positive in some ways. Um, but no, the positive, right, is that, as we've said, coming in, we're thinking ahead sometimes about what do I need to share this year, right? Some years it's easier, some years it's a lot harder. How do I, you know, boil all this down to something shareable? And again, these days it's 30 minutes to an hour probably that we each share, um, at least, right? Yeah. No, no, nothing. It never goes under 30. Yeah. I mean, I never talk less than that anyways, but um, there's a lot of jokes and interruptions. There's a lot of interruptions. All in love, to be fair. Yeah. But yeah, it is a fascinating rhythm to know that every year you're going to have this opportunity with people you really care for and they care for you. But we're not. I mean, we're in each other's lives in various ways. And again, even that has increased over the years, right? With the advent of technology and texting and whatever else, we don't all live in the same spot. Um, so we keep up better than we used to a little bit throughout the year, group texts at least. Um, but it is great to be, to know that you've got this opportunity. And in a sense, there's a healthy pressure hmm. that to Vimo's point that helps you reflect on a process. What's been happening this year? What's the Lord been doing? How do I put that into some sort of form that's, uh, you know, understandable and cogent mm-hmm. um, and that other people can understand and pray for. It's been a good, good rhythm for me. Yeah. I think we get caught up in the rat race, um, just the pressures of kids and, and now at our age parents, like we talked about this morning, kind of being in that sandwich phase of life. Um, but it is, it's, it's hard to stop and actually reflect, do, do self-reflection. And this is such a great time to sit and think, no, what, what, what have I been doing with this time God's given me the last year? And how am I, how am I feeling about it and responding to it? Here are uh, two features that I think are very weird and unique about this setup. That is, they're just occurring to me as we talk right now. First of all, I have good friends, and I have good friends I'll walk with in life, colleagues, people in Durham, where I live, and there's something to the experiencing my year, my my weekly life with these people, um, which I don't have here. Like we, you know, on, on occasion we'll I'll communicate with some of you guys. Maybe all you guys are doing it without me, but otherwise, I, I think that. <laughs> We're not communicating all that much during the year. I don't have many people. I share all my uh, deepest dynamics from a year for an hour or whatever and listen carefully for an hour on this like super kind of intense focused weekend. I feel like I know you guys really, really well in one sense. At the same time, you know, oftentimes something will have happened in February that was really important and I only hear about it in June and that's... That's kind of fascinating. So I'm, I'm almost like want to take notes so I can remember these things as they go forward. You know, I'll always bring a book or two and I'm like envisioning a few hours during the weekend where I'll read or something. I never want to do that. Pure folly. Yeah. Pure folly. <laughs> I always get well. like three pages, three, three pages in, but because it's such a limited opportunity, I want to just hear you guys and listen to you and, and, and absorb and collect all that I can because I know it's going to be a year. So it's like this weird, like snake swallowing, uh, pray and then digesting it for a year dynamic. Uh, secondly, what's weird is, or what's great is that I don't have anybody. I, I, I know ex- maybe a couple people I have such a long arc understanding of their lives. Like I've known you guys since my college years. So this thing started out when you had your first kid. I think you were the only person with a kid in 2003, right? Sam. Sam. And so I've seen everybody's job arcs. I've seen everybody's marriage, family arcs. They're, gradual decline of all of our physical health over the years. Health, you get to see health. things that happen. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm only on the way up here. <laughs> Except for Ashley. Everybody else is gradually declining. Um, there's things that have happened like in 2014 that now we see what it looks like nine, eight, nine, ten 10 years out. 
And so I don't have it at almost anywhere else. And it's really fascinating to see kind of how things play out. And it provides this interesting opportunity for wisdom. It's like this research project where you can, it's like a longitudinal study. And that's really great. I think that's a huge, interesting value. So I'm, I'm learning about careers. I'm learning about people's, like what happens to six different guys in my situation's health and family relationships and how some, how some difficulty five years ago plays out five years from now. And that's, that's unusual. So it's kind of like really the great. Harvard happiness study is the longest study on. Yeah. Talk about that, Jeff. What, what is the Harvard happiness study? It's, yeah, a, it's so a fascinating started, study. Yeah. Group of researchers at Harvard and I think the thirties, but I could be wrong on the exact timing. 1930s started studying a bunch of Harvard graduates and then they expanded it to people of all different backgrounds, incomes, races. And then they added then spouses and kids, right? They followed these people in these families until, I mean, they're still doing it. And uh, the most significant finding to me was that something called social mobility was a predictor of happiness in life. And a big part of that meant healthy, meaningful relationships. So, you know, we're doing our sort of uh, informal version, the monstrosity manliness study, perhaps, is what we could call it, something horrible <laughs> like that. Um, no, that's good. It was, I just looked it up. It was started in 1938. Hey, I, uh, got, with I had the right decade. 268 Harvard sophomores, and the study continues to this day. So it's been going on more than 80 years, and it's just um, an incredible study. But they've shown that, um, and it started with just men, because that's who was at Harvard and who they're doing the study with, and it has expanded. Uh, but for men in particular, the key to happiness is close relationships, and that can be really hard for men to to develop and, and to have. And, uh, and I'm glad I have you guys. There was one year coming into Manstrosity where I'd had a terrible year. Um, great, incredible, frustrating difficulties at work, just some crushing things, difficult things in my personal life too. And for me, for the couple months leading up to monstrosity, in my mind, I'm thinking, how do I summarize this in 20 minutes or half an hour? All of this crap that I've been through in the past year, how do I articulate this in some cogent way? And the lead up to that as I was rehearsing it in my mind so much, I, I had, I had a lot of stuff I just needed to talk through and um, just knowing that this platform, that this opportunity was coming was so incredibly helpful for me to understand my own story. There's a woman who's a Canadian filmmaker who did a documentary about her very difficult life uh, and her parents were still alive you know, when she's showing this documentary and she has a great quote. I couldn't find it, but she said something about being able to tell our story really helps us make sense and bring order to the chaos of our lives. Sometimes whether it's accurate or not, it at least helps us bring, bring order to it and understand it better. And I know for me that year in particular, um, I really, really needed to bring order to the chaos of my life. And I remember it was hilarious. We all had incredibly difficult years. And I think Vimal, you were the last one to share. And I remember you said, well, I thought I had a hard year, but I heard all you guys, my year was great <laughs> compared to what you guys have been there, even though you had plenty of difficulty, but we had all had like incredibly rough, difficult things in our personal relationships and at work and in our churches and places where we volunteer. And it was just, I think we all felt really beat up. And it, this, and I think that's when I realized the importance for me of this story. To, I mean, I'd appreciated it before, but I think for me to realize, I don't just appreciate it. I need this time to tell a story in this in this platform for it yeah so one of the functions of lament right is that um so i mean biblically you lament to god right you kind of vent to lots of people that's fine but you have to lament to god because he's the only one who can do anything about it he's the only because he's sovereign and good you go well i don't get this <laughs> uh what do you want to do about this 
Um, and I think in some ways, right, the the length of our relationships, and so the sense of safety that we have, obviously, obviously uh, we're not, none of us are speaking to each other as if we're God, but we actually, because we all are Christians, we all understand that uh, we all believe and trust that God is good and great and worth trusting. And so I think for me, it has helped me, it has helped shape how I think about my laments. And I mean, sometimes that's what we're doing with each other. I'm, I'm lamenting, right? Before my friends and before the Lord about how hard something is. Um, and I think, I think that's more than venting, right? And I think we could all, we won't get overly personal on the podcast, but I think we all could point to particular moments here over the years, right? When in our lament, other people have spoken something to us that was extremely meaningful. Yeah. Helpful, resetting, reorienting, um, certainly, you know, feeling along, you know, empathy, feeling along with, um, we all face many of, most of the same struggles, even if they look a little bit differently. And so to be able to say those things out loud, safely, and then have, not just say them, right? Not just vent, but to know that you're actually going to get understanding, wisdom, spiritual input, um, that's been super valuable. Yeah, and I and I think, yeah, along with that, I think one of the things for me that it, that's been huge is just it reminds me that I'm not alone. I mean, not alone in the sense that, you know, have these, you know, five other friends that I can come hang out with and spend time with, but also that my struggles, you know, I'm not the only one that struggles with things, that I'm not I'm not unique somehow and that I'm I'm struggling to uh, in my walk of faith, that I'm not the perfect husband or perfect father or employee or and that I'm not. Um, I'm not loving people around me the way that, you know, in a way that all day, every day honors God. There is something that is very, uh, meaningful, uh, of not feeling alone in your, um, in your struggles. Um, but also it's, it's not just for lamenting, but it also is, is, it's very hopeful and that, yeah, Hey, God is good and that he is refining us constantly, but he gives us each other to, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so to speak, uh, it, it does kind of spur us on and it, you know, almost without exception, it has always been an incre- incredibly encouraging time for me that when I, at the end of the weekend, I do leave, you know, a certain very refreshed and in a lot of ways uh, and able to kind of, kind of go forward and, and remember that, yeah, I'm, we're not alone. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I think just last week, the Atlantic had an article on something about why can't men make friends or something. And it was uh, using the Banshees of Inisherin just as an example of weird male friendship, right? And yeah, who knows? Uh, overly gendered stereotype comments, maybe. But I might remember my freshman year at Carolina, someone handed me a tape called The Friendless American Male. I don't remember who gave it to me. It's tape. It was the tape, yes. <laughs> 1993. <laughs> and I listened to it, and I thought, well, that's real sad and accurate, right? It seems like the older men I knew, right, growing up, didn't seem like they had great, deep, long-term friendships. And I do remember sort of in my Mitsubishi Gallant uh, thinking, I don't want to be like that. That seems terrible. I want to have friends. I want to have real friends, lifelong friends. And I will say, actually, in some ways, I think it gets harder, right? Again, the more complex your life gets and you have all these other people that they may not be friends, but they have lots of obligations on you. That, um, And I think for me, I, mean, I have friends at my church for sure. But, you know, it's sort of complicated to be, for me as a pastor, to be friends with everyone at my church. Um and so to be able to have, and yeah, I think stereotypically women maybe are better at this or do this more organically. Maybe that's not true, but that's my observation. 
So to have like a forced, forced friendship, forced fun, making each other share, um, it's so good, right? It actually, it actually helps generate some of the friendship stuff that we're not always good at or we don't always get to. And, and again, stereotypically men bond around doing, doing things together, right? You don't have to, we don't have to have a chat. Let's just do something and we'll naturally be friends along the way. But I pr- appreciate how this has evolved to both. Yeah. We're doing all sorts of things together. Right. But, and we share naturally, but then we also formally are able to talk. And um, I think it has helped, right? To counter that friendless dynamic that we could all fall into. Again, talking just a little bit about recapping a year. Um, I think sometimes it's easy to get caught in the day-to-day muck of, let's say an example of parenting and just not being, having to come here and having to think about it a long segment of time. It's helpful for me and even talking with Tab, because we talk day to day about the daily battle and the moments issue. And we have a date night, we can talk about a span of time, but it is still, I don't think we ever very often, maybe we should, but just think, hey, let's summarize a year. And this, this exercise is always the only exercise where I have to summarize a year. And that helps me to step back and help even Tab and I even reflect on, hey, look at what's happened in a year. And here's really the macro things the ability to have to summarize for this group helps me even with my relationship and perspective with my daughters and, and my wife. It's like a very good psalm of ascent. It's very easy to get distracted by the the rocks and the uh, snares and distractions right in front of us. But this is such a great kind of trajectory reset each year to kind of get reminded of what compass heading I need to have instead of just putting out that next fire or fixing that next broken mm-hmm. thing. Having done this for as long as we have, for as long as we have been walking in, in story with each other, um, just seeing some of the victories and like seeing God be faithful and being able to celebrate that with you guys has been awesome. A lot of this started because Jeff was my, he lived next door to me in my dorm my freshman year at Carolina and, you know, invited me to Camps Crusade and started to meet the, the, you know, the others around this table. Um, And and it kind of stuck over the years. Uh, If I were to try to have to start this, these type of relationships today, I just, I just don't think it would happen. It gets harder when you have those later obligations of family and job and uh, different things like that. I think it is just the older we get, the harder it is to make those relationships. In a group dynamic, I think someone has to decide that they're going to be vulnerable in the group, right? And that that choice of vulnerability often helps the rest of the people. It doesn't always, it doesn't create it, but it allows other people the space to go, oh, geez, if she can say that or if he can say that, maybe I should say a little more. So I think particularly for men, right, to, to look for spaces that you could uh, try to be vulnerable, uh, whether it's a men's group or Bible study or, you know, whatever the opportunities are where you are to be willing to jump. I mean, a lot of times we're not willing to even engage the group or if we go, we're not willing to be vulnerable because it's so difficult, right? You can choose vulnerability. You can choose uh, to not judge people, right? And to give them safety and to extend grace to them. Even if you don't understand them or you don't know them that well yet, you could choose to deal with people graciously in a way that uh, potentially, right, if Lord willing, then could create a kind of environment that could be create long-term friendship. So I don't think you, you can't force it, but you can sort of set some conditions that would allow the possibility of more friendship blossoming over time. I think the recipe is interesting. Um, if this was just some spiritual retreat where we're coming for two days of super intense sharing, journaling, and reflection, and more reading, 
it'd be great and be very valuable. But um, you you fool me into getting super excited about it because um, the salad of monstrosity. No, 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 no. Yeah, we very poor choices not using yeah. that. Gosh, word. what what is the right work with me with the right metaphor here? This the the from year one, it was no vegetables allowed. How, how could you possibly use salad? Potpourri. The po- <laughs> cornucopia. 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 Yeah, yeah. The cornucopia of monstrosity. The smorgasbord. <laughs> Jeff can keep going. Just pick one. Buffet. Is is, is Buffet. heavily uh, mixed in with uh, ribs and video games. And stupid movies and NBA finals and time on the lake Banjo and guitar. hot tubs and Seinfeld, all that stuff uh, dilutes the the intensity <laughs> of the other stuff. <laughs> Got to have that in there, I think. We've always bonded over ribs, and you know that's that has definitely always been a center centerpiece. But I mean, there's a very biblical idea of breaking bread together, and there really is. And yeah, food. not only that, but in the Old Testament, the priests got the best portion of the animal. What portion was that? The fat portions. Mm. And that's not simply about mass, maximizing your calories. It also tastes the best. There's something to that. It's biblical to eat fatty meat together. I think either the first or second year, I bought a grill just so I could do ribs better. And we, at, on the Friday afternoon of monstrosity, we, one of those very early years, we started our weekend together by putting that grill together. And so, and that was, that grill was with us for the first, I don't know, eight or 10 years and until we moved on. So yeah, that. That, that that was very much a part of our recipe is is food and eating together and enjoying those times that led to other things. Well, I haven't told you this, Ashley, but I still have a knob from that grill. And I'd like to present it to you right now. <laughs> That's the only reason that I had to retire that grill because it was I just it was no <laughs> longer. Turn it on. Can adjust the heat. I wouldn't be representing, you know, my Anglicanism without saying that this this is such a fun liturgy that I look forward to every year. And I think society now I think has um, de-emphasized the importance of ceremony and especially for guys I think it's easy to just kind of shrug off um, the importance of kind of marking things and saying true things to each other I really look forward to it now it's just one of these annual rhythms that gets us I mean gets us all excited I love it when the the, the group chat um, firing up, blowing up with hilarious jokes, and there's usually months of giggling and snickering uh, at uh, at all of the um, plans and preparation. Even though we typically know exactly what's going to happen, and right? Just, right. There's a liturgy. There's an unwritten liturgy. There's like the presenting of the cookies yes. during the showing of the <laughs> yes. basketball game or film. Yep. You're laughing in the kitchen. Your wife says, "What are you laughing at?" You're just like. Stupid texting, getting ready for monstrosity. She's like, okay, that's right. So there's I, I, at some point it'd be fun to kind of see a video of this. You know, maybe when we're all in heaven. Like, I mean, one of the things that makes me laugh every year as I think back is we all go shopping together at Walmart. How often do <laughs> you see dudes walking through Walmart pushing a cart together, arguing about how many dozens of eggs we need or. Did we get cheese? Is it we, enough cheese? Which evolved into a list, a formal list that's in the records as well. Mm, that's true. Because so, we overspent one year. <laughs> Way overspent. And our memories are bad, so we must write important Keep track down, of it, especially like food. Oh, just for the record, by the way, since this is the B-Reel or whatever, um, <laughs> let me read to you the 2018 Manstrosity Hall of Records. <clears throat> New Mexico. I don't remember who did this. Was it, <laughs> it, 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 it was you. I really don't. I mean, I, 
I feel like it might have been you, Rob. But anyway, in New Mexico, Walker killed his first rattlesnake by tying it together with another rattlesnake, <laughs> choking them both, and then shooting them in the heads. <laughs> Jeff rides his first African antelope. Rob films Christmas special of Breaking Bad. <laughs> Vimal runs from Albuquerque to the house. <laughs> Sam acquires the property for Grub Ventures. To appease Vimal, Ashley takes down cow on the way to its evening home and produces beef ribs from it, reminiscent of a mastodon. <laughs> <laughs> we watched the new direct to video release Mad Max versus John Wick. <laughs> wow. I don't think I wrote that, but, but I love it. Year. I'll take credit for it. <laughs> I, I'll think think you, I honestly don't remember writing that. <laughs> it's a classic, though. Hence the Hollow Records. Yeah. It's, it's, we remember less year, year after year. And it's all just close enough to probability that it's like that's what makes it so good it's like that that actually that's plausible that could happen so i hope our posterity reads that and assumes every word is true <laughs> <laughs> all right well you guys are awesome you guys Thank did you, it <laughs> thanks what year is that gently gen gently drop the expensive so, mic these guys were great sports to talk about manstrosity and how it came about and the traditions that we have they are some of the funniest and smartest people that i know and i'm so glad that they were able to sit down and share just a little bit of their thoughts on the importance of what has become our main tradition on this retreat. I'm not sure that this is a model that can be intentionally replicated, but I think some of the principles are certainly there. That of vulnerability, that of being able to take time annually to tell your story. I guess I'd ask who's in your life, who's a friend or maybe a group of friends who can get together and just say, hey, we're gonna get together and we're gonna do this once a year. There's a certain power to doing it that infrequently, and yet that regularly at the same time, a chance to pull back and look at your life one year at a time and a chance to pray for one another. This is a podcast that's about storytelling. It's about the power of being able to tell our stories and we all have them. I didn't realize how much I take it for granted and how important it is for me to have an opportunity to tell my story. I hope you find opportunities to tell yours too. The story that writes us is a part of the Adult Discipleship Ministries at Custer Road United Methodist Church in Plano, Texas. You can worship with us online. You can go to crumc.org live. If you're ever in Plano, stop by. I'd love to meet you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>